You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Amen. Wonderful praising of our Savior. Thank you, worship team, so much. Kids, you are free to go to your class. Got Miss Amy back there waving your hand. Miss Heather's back there, too. You're going to have a great time. Everyone else, please take your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 today. And this morning, we are going to see, uh, before we see where we're going, we're going to see where we came from. All right? And, and if that phrase actually rings a bell for anyone out there, uh, the people in the room who probably know exactly where that came from are the, most of the ones who just, just stepped out. But... Uh, that is, that is a Moana reference. I see a few moms <laughs> nodding, nodding their heads. Exactly, exactly. But it fits here with Romans 8, okay? To really know where we're going to go into this chapter, we have to have a quick recap of what we have already seen, what we've already been learning. Romans 8 is, is so powerful. Everything that we've been seeing in the first two messages is about living your life in Christ. Living your life in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this isn't surface level Christianity. We are in a rich text. This is the good stuff. And there are really two ways I could go with this intro. All right, I could go to the immediate low hanging fruit that is just sitting there for us. Um, the topic, the fallen condition focus, if you will, that we all can relate with is the issue of fear. This is a message that has your fear in its crosshairs. And I, I would say it wouldn't really be that hard to go into a fear introduction because 2020 is like the year of fear, right? We, we have fear everywhere. It's surrounding us from all sides. No matter where you fall politically, no matter what your age demographic is, all of us to some degree are being suffocated by a culture of fear. We have, even in our country, we have leaders who are are using fear to, to move people, uh, to, to get them to do what they want them to do. So I could start with a litany of sad stories that prove fear is a problem, but it's all you have to really do is turn on the news or open up your phone and look at the news app to see there's a lot of fearful things out there. So instead of going that route, I want to actually introduce it the other way, Overcoming fears that paralyze you from experiencing victory through Jesus Christ. To really get to that point, let's see where we've come from so far in Romans 8. And if you've missed the first two sermons, or if you missed one of those two sermons, you're in luck today, okay? Um, this entire chapter so far has low-key been telling us that before you know where you're going, you have to see where you came from. Who are you really? And why can't you move forward and have victory and overcome all this stuff that is coming to a fan near you before you nail down who you are in Jesus Christ? You can't do that until you nail that down. So that's what we're going to do. So if you can, just take the seatbelt off for a minute. You know how like when you were a kid, uh, you get in the car, you're going to go to a destination, and, and your dad like looks back in the rearview mirror and he says, okay, this is where we're going to go. This is why we're going to go there. You need to behave. You need to have a good attitude about this. And then we will get there when the car gets there. You know what I'm saying? You know how your dad does that? So take the seatbelt off. We're going to idle and park for just a second before we get into verses 12 through 17, which is the text today. We need to back up a little bit. And we're going to start in Romans 8.1. I hope you have Romans 8.1 memorized. Some of us have been reading this chapter over and over again. The most glorious news you could possibly ever hear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news. And from that resounding statement on, Paul has been contrasting the two types of people that are in this world. There's people who set their minds according to the flesh, and there's only one other type of person, people who set their minds according to the Spirit. You're either one of those two people. Understanding this contrast is foundational to everything that we see, everything that we experience in our daily lives. Verse 2 says, the Spirit sets you free in Christ from the old law of sin and death. That's really good news for those of us who are in Christ, who have set their minds according to the Spirit. Verse 3 describes this a little bit more. Through sending his Son, Jesus Christ, 
God has done what the old law, weakened by the flesh, could never do. All right, he sent Jesus to die for our sin. And in doing so, Jesus, the sinless Savior who never once committed a sin, took our sin upon himself. He was unjustly condemned to death. And then he condemned death by defeating the grave. We just sung about that in like the last three songs. But that's what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did for us, making a way for all of us who come to him by repentance and faith to have a relationship where he now works in us and he fulfills his will through us. Verse 3 doesn't just end with a period. It ends with a comma. This isn't just a legal transaction of justification. That's not all that being in Christ entails. Being in Christ is more than just being declared righteous. Now we have an ongoing relationship where we are doing things that we could have never imagined doing. And we have a peace and a joy and a perspective in life that we never had before. In some respects, this is even more shocking. Not only does God declare us righteous by imputing us with the sinless righteousness of Jesus Christ, but our creator, the creator of the universe, is starting a personal relationship with us. Can you believe that? The creator of the universe knows you by name. He has a plan for you, and this is what the Bible calls being in Christ. It's a new identity that is a product of a new way of thinking. And here's some more contrast between people of the flesh, people of the spirit. If you look down to verse 6, verse 6 through 8, to set the mind in the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not to submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And if that sounds dark to you, that's because it really is without the good news. But there's more good news in the very next verse, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. That's a big question that only you can answer in your own heart. If you know Jesus, how can you not love verse 9? You, however, are not in the flesh anymore. In verses 1 through 8, Paul has been teaching these glorious doctrinal truths. He's teaching them all in the third person, right? Like, this is who you are, and this is what is happening. And, and like, all right, this is a lot to take in. And then he goes in verse 9 from, like, the third person plural, and then he emphasizes specifically to you personally in the second person, personal. This is now who you are. I'm, yes, I'm talking to you. You are controlled by something that is greater than, greater than you. Something is inside of you, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what all of this means for us. Being in Christ, if you were in Christ today, that means that you're on the right side of history. Right there. As much as this world will craft their own narrative, which is always changing, it's always shifting, if you are in Christ and you have a conviction of your own sin and you have a desire to obey God, even though with everything else in the world out there, you know, up is down and down is up, what was cool 10 years ago is now verboten. You can't say that anymore. Like the world's definition of what we should be doing is always shifting and changing. But if we know Christ and we're in him, the truth never changes, Right? And, and, and we have nothing to fear. We don't need to worry and stress about all these other changes going on around us. The change that we should care the most about is the change that's happening inside of us. As we go from one degree of glory to the next, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, and which we just sang about. When we are in Christ, we are in a sanctification process. And I know when I say the word sanctification, that's a church word. And some people like, get uncomfortable, like, oh, what does it really mean uh, uh, to use that word? And they get nervous about it. Well, part of my job is to teach you what that word means so it's not intimidating. Because the world is always teaching you their doctrine at all times. Everywhere else you go, you're getting the world's doctrine. So you may as well get Christ's doctrine from the church. And if you don't know what the word sanctification means, you need to know 
what that word means. It's a very important word. So here's the definition for you. Sanctification is a process of being in Christ where we grow, from, grow into becoming more like Jesus. It's really that simple. You can say it this way if you really want to get it, get it easy to remember. More of Jesus, less of me. You say that with me? More of Jesus, less of me. That's sanctification. I'm pursuing less of my flesh and my fleshly desires, and I'm pursuing more of the Spirit. Here's one more way of thinking about salvation, uh, sanctification, just to go a little deeper with it. When you are in Christ, you have a new definition of who you are. You also have a new appreciation for what you have been given. You see the grace and the mercy of God. You, you've now been given a gift that you didn't deserve. As you look back and you see what God has done, that leads to a desire now to resign yourself of your old will, to lay it down, and to pick up what the Holy Spirit leads you into. Lay down what the Holy Spirit convicts you to lay down and come to a resignation that his way is higher than my way. You see those three words? We have definition, a new definition, a new appreciation, and a new resignation. Those are the three components of sanctification, which I will shout again to you for the kids in the back, more of Jesus, less of me. That's sanctification. Less of my, my fleshly spirit and more of his Holy Spirit. So we have a calling now that is eternal. It's so much greater than our old life that looks simple now in contrast, where our old life, everything revolved around me. And that's honestly where the rest of the world is still at. That's where they live. Their minds are still set according to the flesh. You, however, are different. You are resigned to live like verse 11. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You have the power of the resurrection living inside of you. You're not living according to the flesh anymore. You're now in a completely new category of people. You're more than a conqueror living through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, that was two messages worth, like 80 minutes of content that I just recapped with a real quick catch-up mechanic in the last five minutes. Now, with all of that said, let's move specifically into where Paul is at right now in verse 12, and we're going to look at how this connects to overcoming fear. Would you read verses 12 through 17 with me? So then, brothers, we are debtors not to live to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The first two verses this morning that I just read are actually a complete recap of everything that I just explained in verses 1 through 11. So maybe I did pick the right you know, intro instead of talking about fear in the intro. But here is the first point. Number one, defeat the flesh because you were born again with the Holy Spirit. It's verses 12 and 13. This is how you defeat the flesh. You defeat it through your identity, your new identity in Christ. You were born again. Some, another biblical term for this that we see in the New Testament is you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. Look again at verse 12 at how Paul describes the flesh, right? The flesh, the old way that you don't need to live like or think like anymore. How does he describe the flesh in verse 12? A debtor. You're a debtor. What an illustration. You know, it's not fun to be in debt, is it? 
we've all kind of, I mean, most of us, I would say, have probably been in some way, shape, or form, like had some student loans or, you know, you bought that motorcycle when you were 21 that you should have never bought and, and you had some, some debt to pay off with that one. Whatever it is, having a weight hang over your head and suppress you, you know, like I don't feel like I can go where I want to go, do what I feel like I'd like to do right now because compound interest, you know, it's a, it's a beast. I, I want to get that off my, off my shoulders. Um, and when you have that, for Paul here, this is equivalent. He's using it as an illustration. Like that's what living outside of Christ is like. You're actually enslaved to your sinful passions. You never have enough. There's always something holding back from what you really feel like you need because you have eternity in your heart that's not being met by physical things in this earth. So this is what Paul is correlating to living in the flesh. You aren't free if you're outside of Christ. And you know, this is not what the world will tell you. This is not what we hear from pretty much every other source, not named the Bible. They say the exact opposite. Because Satan is a liar and he twists the truth. The world tries to tell you that Jesus is restrictive. If you go to Jesus, you won't be able to have fun. You won't be able to do all these things that everyone else is doing around you. That's a lie of the enemy. It really is. It's not true. Now, there is pleasure in sin for a season. But the end result of sin is never life and joy and peace and happiness. Because you were made for something more than pleasure. You were made to glorify God. You were designed for his glory, to worship him, and to enjoy him forever. And if you're trying to enjoy, you name it, fill in the blank, pleasure, you name it, sports accolades, music, whatever you're trying to enjoy, if it's above Jesus Christ, it's not going to satisfy you. And even Christians can get caught up in the mindset of the flesh. When you're talking about this, I think it's very important to point out, God does tell us no sometimes. And that's, I think, where people, they get, they get upset. They look for, you know, does the Bible really say that? They look for ways to get around that. Why does God tell you no? We, we talk about this a lot. <laughs> if you're a regular member of Docs, you've heard this before. When God says don't, what he really means is don't hurt yourself. You have to understand that. He's a loving father. And when he says don't, if he says don't do something, it's simply because in the end, that will hurt you. So he's saying don't hurt yourself. We think, well, this is restrictive. Like, I feel this is fine. Like, you know, let me see if I can find a way that the Bible puts a stamp of approval on it. Maybe somebody misinterpreted something about the scripture because the world is shouting at me that this is okay. The world says, get in line with them. And, and, if, and the world says, if I don't go for this and accept them here in this area, then I don't love them. And I want to love them. I should love them. So let me just see what, what sounds good and what feels good. A lot of Christians get tripped up in that kind of thinking. Again, it's not based on what is truth. What does God say in his word? Because what God says is true. And what God says won't hurt you. And actually, it's unloving not to stand for the truth because you're letting someone go another way that will lead to death. You cannot trust the world who has a fleshly mindset to define things correctly. We can't let them set the rules. What have we been learning? There's one person who's of the flesh, one mindset that's of the spirit. So the world isn't going to define justice correctly. They're not going to define unity correctly, and so on and so forth. And I'll just really go there with a the big one. What does the Bible say about sexuality? All right, let's just go there, right? Since we're there, the Bible teaches that sex is a gift of God. It is a wonderful, glorious gift of God that is to be shared between one man and one woman. That's what we see in the Bible. The sexual union binds two souls together in a spiritual way. It's more than physical. It's a way that a covenant relationship grows deeper and stronger as two flesh become one. You are literally giving something of yourself to the other person. It's not a cheap thrill ride for physical gratification of your body. 
It's an act of knitting two souls together in an intimate way. The physical pleasure is just icing on the top, okay? And when the world enjoys sex, just the physical gratification part of it, really is what they're doing is they're just enjoying the gravy. And I mean, our life group, we had, we had a Friendsgiving just this last week, and my wife made some amazing turkey gravy. It was fabulous. Turkey gravy is great, but turkey gravy is better when you have it with the meat, right? <laughs> you got to have the meat to really enjoy the gravy. And, and this is why there's been so many studies done recently in the last five to 10 years. Secular studies have been made, and they're like, who has the most enjoyment in sex? Wow, is it really the, the heterosexual monogamous couples that enjoy the best type of sex? And study after study say that's true, and people are scratching their heads. How could that be? Well, it's because sex is more than a physical act of gratification for physical pleasure. It's a spiritual union. And when you have one man and one woman who are coming together time after time, deepening their intimate relationship, they are experiencing the meat of sex and not just the gravy. Okay? What God's word says about it is true. We don't need to compromise that and get scared of that because somebody says, that doesn't make me feel good. No, align your thoughts and your motives and everything that you feel, your emotions, they should be aligned to the truth of God's word. We know what's truth because this is what God designed. God's first command to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. You can't multiply in a same-sex relationship. God's way, not how we feel, not the, not the world's way. Let's not cheapen the gift of sex and use it any other way. The world will put a spin on it. They will corrupt it, but God's way is best. And when God says don't, is what he says is don't hurt yourself. I have something better for you. There's a better way. And we don't need to be ashamed of his plan or of his design. Now, knowing this, with all that said, it shouldn't stop us from still loving people. It's by God's grace that we know this truth. These are glorious truths that have been revealed to us as a gift. We didn't figure it out ourselves. It's not us who, who like became a good person and I saved myself and let me pat myself on the back. No, you've been given all of this by the grace and mercy of God. And those who are living according to the flesh, we want them to know the same thing. God is the judge. It's not our calling to judge them or condemn them. It's our calling to share the truth. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that doesn't go across very well. But the stakes are too high for us to shirk our own responsibility here of being salt and light and shining the light of Jesus into the darkest places. And I realize while all of this is true, at the very same time, we know all these things, and you're like, wow, David, I'm getting really, really excited about the truth of who I am being in Christ but then I, it happens to me every Sunday, and then I walk out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and then I get defeated by sin myself. Sometimes we still get defeated in wrestling our own flesh and battling our own sinful natures that are still inside of us. And that's why verse 13, if you look at verse 13 with me, it says, by the Spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the body. Still an ongoing battle. The only way that you are going to defeat the desires of the flesh that still wage war against you, this is spiritual warfare, it's very real. The only way you can get victory there is by tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. You were born again with the new spirit that is alive inside of you. And this is the power of the resurrection that is inside of everyone who is in Christ. The world, the flesh, and the devil are trying to stop you from living victoriously. Even once you were saved and you were free from condemnation, Satan's next play is to get you sidetracked and off into a ditch, not moving forward victoriously. And he has a myriad of ways that he tries to tempt you. The world is trying to get in your ear. You're going to even get in your own head sometimes. But the only way to win and be more than a conqueror is through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. And if you're thinking, wow, where is that? Like, I, I don't ever seem to feel that or sense that or have conviction. It's just I have to do this and be spiritual. If, if you're wondering where that is, maybe you should be asking yourself, 
Do I have the Holy Spirit? Do I actually know him? Am I actually in Christ? Are you letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? You cannot look at church as just an add-on event. It's vital. The preaching, the fellowship, the singing, the prayer together, all of it. This is, there's a reason why it's commanded in Scripture not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is crucial for us to live a victorious life in the Spirit. If you're not setting your mind on the Spirit, you are literally going to get your head taken off out there. And it's not just the linebacker coming at you who wants to take your head off. It's the enemy who's shooting a flaming arrow at you. That's what we're facing. So confess your sins daily. Again, not out of guilt. There's no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Do it out of appreciation. Be so consumed with your life in Jesus Christ that you were grateful for the new definition of being that you have. You were overjoyed with the appreciation of what he's doing in and through you, and you were resigned to his will, not your, not, not your old will. It's his way, not my way. And you don't need to fear the names that the world will call you. You don't need to fear how the enemies of God and those who are of the flesh will label you. You don't hate them. They have hate. You, you don't need to have that. Hate your own sin and fight the good fight through the power of the Holy Spirit. Love people and confess your sin. And you don't even have to expose anything yourself. Light will expose darkness, right? We, we saw that in Ephesians earlier this year. Is all you do is shine light, and that will take care of itself. Now look at what the rest of this passage has to say, because it's about to get really specific about fear as we move into verses 14 and 15. So would you read those with me? Verse 14, for all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Here's point two. Conquer strongholds because you were adopted into the family of God. The first truth about your identity is that you were born again. We just saw that. Secondly, you're not just born you were adopted into the family of God. Do you see again how Paul describes the fleshly mindset here as a spirit of slavery, being enslaved to your sinful passions? The lifestyle, as, as glamorous as it may, the, the world's lifestyle, as glamorous as it may look, you know, on the magazine cover and on the headlines, as shiny, as attractive as it can look in our culture, it is underridden with fear. Mark it down every single time. There is fear at the foundational level of all that glitz and glamour. There's fear of rejection. What if I haven't done enough? What if I need to do more? All of us who've lived that, we know. You, you felt it before. There's this constant, in the back of your mind, uneasiness. I'm not sure what if I need to do more? What are they going to think of me if I don't go there? What am I going to do with my kids? And if I don't have my kids in this school, or I spend this kind of money on this Instagram lifestyle, like what are people going to think of me? It's driven by fear. There's fears of rejection that honestly are just tearing people up right now. You think about the youth in our world today and, and how much anxiety just runs rampant in their thoughts. These are fears that have grown because they're not given over to the Spirit, and they start paralyzing you from experiencing victory in Jesus Christ, and it's just driving anxiety through the roof. Anxiety cannot survive when you set your mind on the Spirit. Setting your mind on the Spirit ends anxiety. Anxiety only thrives when you're setting your mind on things of the flesh. It's how it works. Would you please write this one down? My anxiety is rooted in what I believe I can or cannot do. My identity in Christ is rooted in what Jesus has done for me. Do you see how one is of the flesh, one is of the spirit? One 
destroys anxiety because it's not on me anymore, and the other compounds anxiety. My anxiety is rooted on what I believe I can or cannot do. My identity in Christ is rooted in what Jesus has done for me. So if you have the fear of rejection, you also have the fear of failure. There's the fear of others. There's the fear of future unknowns. I mean, what if I'm not prepared? Well, guess what? You're not always going to be prepared in life, okay? I've lived long enough to know there's things that are going to come your way in life that you are not prepared for. And if it's all on you, well, yeah, I would feel a little anxious about it too. But it's not all on you. So you don't have to be scared of it. Well, what is the doctor going to say? I don't know. But if you're in Christ, do you need to even fear death? You don't. You do not need to fear death. What about, what about this relationship? How's it going to turn out? What about our country? What if I can't provide for my family? There's all these fears that if you just let them resonate in and of yourself, and you, and you separate those from the power of the Holy Spirit that, that is working inside you, they will turn into anxiety. Legitimate concerns, yes, pray for them. But they don't need to turn into strongholds. Because every single one of those fears, when you let them resonate and you let them just fester and grow, they will eventually develop into this anxiety that turns into straight-up stronghold, where it dominates your life. It dominates the way you think. And if it's all on you to figure out and fix, yes, you will fall back into the spirit of slavery. It's going to dominate and impact the way you make decisions. And you don't need that. That's the world we live in. But what's the entire message of this chapter? Every single verse has been calmly, methodically telling you, like a lawyer making an airtight case, that's not you anymore. That you don't need to think that way. Set your mind according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Verse 9, you, however, are not of the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And do you notice something about all of these fears, all of these anxieties? They all have a very common similarity. What am I going to do about this relationship? What if I'm not good enough? What if I can't prepare for, uh, provide for, and prepare what I need to prepare? What's the common theme all, for all of those? The word I. Every one of these fears that paralyze you from experiencing victory in Jesus Christ are centered around you, not around him. And fear that goes unchecked will turn into anxiety. And the longer you let anxiety run rampant in your mind, you will allow a stronghold to form. But in Christ, you aren't just a free-roaming, lone ranger Christian who's figuring it out on your own, on saddleback with your own lasso. That's not you as a Christian. That's not how it works. Individuals get mowed down on the battlefield. The ones who have victory stick with the team. They stick with their unit. They follow the plan that their commanding general has provided for them. There are no lone wolves in the army of God. Have you ever thought about that? There's none. There are only adopted sons and daughters in the family of God. In the family of God. You have to choose who you're going to listen to. You can listen to your own fears and anxieties. You can listen to the message of the world, which divides us, and as, it, as its core is individualistic and is self-centered. The world is humanistic. They've placed themselves as God in the center of the throne. Or you can listen to verses 14 and 15 and conquer strongholds because you were adopted into the family of God. Let's talk about this word adoption for a minute. This is a really, really, really amazing concept. Um, it's, it's one of the most glorious truths of the Bible. The word led, first of all, in verse 14, conveys the idea of being willing. I want to do this. So I'm going to allow myself to follow this leader named Jesus. A homeless child without a father lives in fear. You know, the, there's no way around this remedy of fear 
unless they are adopted. Every child has a desire for acceptance, and without being known and accepted by a loving parent, kids can easily be enslaved by the approval of others. They're always going to seek out somewhere to find that acceptance. And that's the beauty of adoption, where it comes in. Paul is using here this illustration of adoption that would have actually been completely foreign, almost, to the Jews. The Jews didn't really do adoption as we think of it. That was really not something they did. It wasn't common for them at all. You know who it was common for? The Romans, yes. The Romans, it was a huge thing. So Paul is talking to his audience here. And in Rome, at this time, um, adoption was very common. Here's why. If a man did not have an heir, okay, if he didn't have someone to continue his line, what they would do is they would adopt a slave child, a doulas, and they would adopt that child as their own. And our American cultural ideas about adoption are almost exclu exclusively adopted from Rome, pun intended, okay? <laughs> Hope you caught that one. Um, the Roman culture of adoption, listen to the, what Roman adoption is, and I want you not just to think about it as a parallel to adoption here in America, but think about this in a spiritual sense, okay? First thing about Roman adoption, the adoptee's legal and social relationship from their former family was completely severed, a brand new life would begin, and the past relationships and everything associated with them were over, okay? I mean, American adoption has changed. It, we, it's changed a little bit, but this is where we're getting it from. Number two, the adoptee is placed permanently in the new family. No going back. Impossible to renege on this. Number three, all of the adoptee's debts are completely eradicated. So in case you weren't clear on that before, like it's all gone. New life, new family. Number four, it required a witness who could testify, you know, if necessary in the case of the adopting father's untimely death. So you had to have a witness there. So you can see what Paul was talking about is still very similar to what adoption looks like for us today. But even more importantly, spiritually speaking, this is an amazing analogy to what happens to us spiritually in Christ. When you are enslaved to fear, the strongholds of depression manifest. And spiritually speaking, the only way out of these things, these, these, all these enslaving, consuming weights, is by looking at adoption as a son and, and a daughter of God. That's the only way to break free from the strongholds of the anxieties of fear, to see yourself as a child of God. In verse 15, gives you even more on this, okay? Not only are you a child of God and he is your father, you can cry out to him, he is your Abba father. We have to stop trying to find our significance by just pleasing other people and looking for this person or that person to accept you, even if it's not your own parent. And I realize some of us in this room may feel that. You are an adopted child of God, and he is your good father. If you are in Christ, you are loved by God, you were born again and adopted into the family of God. You're no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. When God declares you righteous with the act of justification, he is acting as a holy, righteous judge. It's a wonderful attribute of God's character. He is a judge. He's a holy judge. When God regenerates you and makes you alive with him and transforms you into a new creation through the process of sanctification from one degree of glory to the next, he is acting as a creator there. Do you see how God is a judge and he is a creator? But both of those truths about God's character are actually lacking in the fullness of who he is. Because even Allah, is a creator and a judge. Those two aspects of God are actually missing the personal side of his nature. God is a judge, he is a creator, and he is also your father. And that is a personal, adopted relationship that we can have that no other religion has that. 
the creator of the universe, the judge of all things, also wants to know me personally and not just know me personally and buy me a few nice gifts once a year and be a, a, a foreign you know, stepdad who's not really connected to my life. No, he wants to adopt you as his own and give you everything. He has a plan for you, and he will provide a way for you to fulfill that plan. He is your Abba Father. The closest equivalent that we have to the word Abba is the word Daddy. It's like a child who can't quite pronounce their father's full name, so before they say Dad, they say Dada, right? Like, we are that innocent child who isn't really, isn't really able to provide for themselves, I mean, we're not totally innocent because we were in sin. You know, okay, I get that. We're innocent once Jesus saves you and imputes his righteousness to you. But we are utterly reliant on him. We're a helpless child who can't make it on our own. But that's okay because we have a loving daddy who isn't going to let anything happen to us that's not in his sovereign will. You were adopted. And this is, uh, this is where... David Martin Lloyd-Jones has a ton to say about these verses. He's read a lot of great stuff. I just want to share with you one, one sentence about this that kind of sums it up. This is the highest form of assurance possible. There is nothing beyond it. We're talking about adoption. It is the acme, the zenith of assurance and certainty of salvation. So we have been seeing all this truth about who God is. We've been seeing all these different sets of three. And and if I could just take a slight um, pause for a minute here, think about all the sets of three that you see in Scripture. First of all, the Trinity itself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have seen that our salvation consists of our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. We've been talking about how sanctification itself happens through a new definition, a new appreciation, and a new resignation. We have seen that God is our creator, our judge, and our father, and we could go on all day about sets of three. As a matter of fact, even, uh, even creation itself, you, you, can, you can feel this, this sense of like something about three is, is great. Um, Julie, my wife, is an interior designer, and she has like a little decorating tips thing that she's been doing recently. It's been really, really good. And she was talking about one of her tips was um, if you're setting some things up, don't just use two or four use three, because three, believe it or not, it's hard to understand, but it's more pleasing to the eye. And I'm digressing here, um, but there's one more really, really amazing set of three that I want you to see in this passage. You were born in Christ, that was point one, so you can achieve victory over the flesh, victory over the flesh. You were adopted by the Father, and if you can hold on to your seat now, it goes even further than that. You're not just born, you're not just adopted. What is the rest of this passage teaching us? You're an heir with Christ. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, we may also be glorified with him. Point number three is endure temporary suffering because you are an heir with Christ. You see this? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, if all of this stuff that I'm talking about just seems distant and you really can't wrap your mind fully around this and you're hearing being in Christ, having something powerful living inside me, having a, having a desire to follow God and a desire to lay down my will, if that's a foreign concept to you, Maybe you don't have what we're talking about here. And there's an easy solution. You can repent of your way of living for yourself, and you can turn by faith and look to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Confess your sin. Give your life to Jesus Christ. But the Spirit not only fills and empowers us to defeat our own sinful desires that are at war within us, the Spirit not only erases fear and replaces it with the ultimate security of adoption, the Spirit also promises eternal rewards. We're an heir with Christ. We have an unshakable hope for the future that can carry us through any temporary hardships 
and fears in this present life. Do you see both the promise and the perspective that are here with this? Part of being in Christ means you're an heir with Christ. And we should be in awe at this point. We don't belong here. This is not really, I, what, am, what am I doing here? Like, I'm in a place that I do not belong. <laughs> we were in rebellion, going our own way, and Jesus came and rescued us. He gave the gift of salvation, and he didn't stop there. He adopted us into the family. He becomes our personal, loving Savior. Our Father adopts us, and now he's making us an heir, and we have the riches of eternity that we're inheriting. It's coming. So you can't miss what all this means for you. What does this mean for you right now? It means you really have nothing to worry about, right? There's a lot of stuff coming to the fan. There's a lot of stuff happening right now that you did not want, you were not looking for. The world can literally be crashing and burning all around you. And at some time, the New Testament tells us that will actually happen. But those of us who are setting our mind according to the Spirit can overcome all of those fears because we're in Christ. When we are in Christ, we are fearless, adopted heirs. That's who you are. Look at what verse 17 says again. Furthermore, we are heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So temporary suffering isn't something to avoid at all costs. I hope your life doesn't revolve around trying to avoid suffering. If that's the epitome of your life, that sounds an awful lot like people who are setting their minds according to the flesh, right? People who are setting their minds according to the spirit knows that part of the deal is we're going to face hardship. Did Jesus face hardship? Oh, yeah. Yes, he did. Regular people become soft by staying comfortable when they're living according to whatever their flesh desires. And they, those could even be good things. I mean, those could be good things taken way too far. Fearless people, though, become bold, and they step up, and they step out, and they do something for Jesus Christ because they are confident in who they are. They know, I'm an adopted heir, so I'm fearless. All of these things that the world is doing, all these things that are, that are going to be very detrimental for our society, whatever, I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm not going to stress out and have anxiety over it. If you're living for Jesus, you're not always going to be popular, but that's okay. People aren't always going to understand you, but I'm an adopted heir. You don't have to understand me. I just want you to have what I have. You're no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. And scripture always lays a very strong emphasis on this truth that suffering is a path to glory. It all started with Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered for us to provide a way for us to find glory. And we are to follow that same path. If you want some proof for that, if you, if you hear that and you're like, ooh, I'm not in Christ yet, and I still need you to prove this to me, David. Um, I can do that for you, all right? Jesus taught this about himself in Mark 8.31, one of many verses. This is what Mark 8.31 says. And he began to teach them, this is Jesus, teaching about himself, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Peter taught the same thing about us. In 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Worship team, you can come up now, uh, because we're going to have to respond in song to this in just a minute. But the full essence of being Christ's disciple, being in a union with Christ, being in Christ, is this identification that we're going to share in both his sufferings and in his glory. You are the church. And this is your calling. 
you also happen to be in a church that lives and breathes the glory of God. That's our name. Our name is doxa, which is the New Testament word for glory. We are created to give God glory and to show his glory. What's God's glory again? God's glory is everything that is true about his character and his nature. Every aspect of God, his justice, his holiness, his mercy, his loving kindness, his patience, those are all aspects of God's glory. To glorify God means you do that with your life. When we show God's glory, we are glorifying him. And we'll learn a lot more about glorification later on in this chapter. But glorification is another theological term for when we are united with him in eternity with our new resurrected bodies. So I hope you get the point here today. Suffering will come. Hardship is going to happen. We're going to face fears in this present darkness. Don't, don't be upset that you're fearful about something. Just don't live in that fear. Don't let that fear turn into anxiety. Give that fear over to Jesus Christ. It's what you do with those fears that either makes you or breaks you. Are you going to act like the independent 17-year-old who wants to conquer the world and no one can tell you what to do when you just go off and do it on your own? Or are you going to remember that in Christ, if you were in him, if you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you were an adopted heir. And you're going to overcome all those fears and anxieties by looking to your living hope. In order to know where you're going, you have to know where you came from. So look back at your salvation of being found in him and look forward with fearlessness. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. Would you stand up with me right now? That's what we're going to sing to God. You're no longer a slave to fear. We are children, adopted heirs of God. Let's praise Him for that. You unravel me with a melody. Surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone.
So they were leaving the slavery of their own bondage, just like we are in the bondage of sin when we don't know Jesus Christ. And God was redeeming them. He was rescuing them. He was saving them. And they couldn't do it on their own. They were in front of this, this, this giant river, right? So he split it in half so they could walk across on dry land. Maybe that's what God wants to do for you right now. If there is someone in the room, you've been hearing all of this for three weeks now about being in Christ, having no condemnation, not feeling guilty anymore, having a peace that passes understanding where you don't live by your anxiety and fear, you're driven by something else, you're driven by a power that is inside of you that's stronger and deeper than you, and you're someone that you never thought you would be. If, if all of that, you feel like you're missing that, right now is the time to confess your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to do that, you can do that in your seat right now. Tell Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you took your that you took my sin upon your shoulders. Forgive me of my sin. Save me. And you start this this entire relationship. You have a new father. You have a new identity. You have all of the above. Maybe you'd like to talk with someone about that. Pray, pray with someone about that. You can step aside over here. Steve and Lynn would love to take you just, just in our back room right here. And we'd love to have a prayer with you about that. Maybe there's a Christian in the room that has literally feels, feels defeated. You have been living according to the flesh even though you have the Holy Spirit. And right now, you need to make the decision, I'm not going to be living according to my old sinful desires anymore. I was set free from that. I was forgiven from that. I'm no longer a slave to that. Don't let fear dominate your life. Let's sing this one more time in closing. If you need to get something right with God, you have time to do that right now. You can come forward. You can step aside. Do business with God right now. And let's close our service by singing. 